All right. Okay. So, number three. Episode three. Yeah, it's a little sideways on you. I don't know if it matters or not. Episode three. <laughs> this is a double. Yeah. Start over again. Start over again. Uh, wait. So do we? Do we have a plan? I don't for think the episode we have a plan. Three? I, I think we. My my thought process is we would just take off from from where we left off. Is like so basically have maybe as we go through all the pain bodies that we were in when we started the marriage it will both bring them up as here's where the marriage is going or here here's the trajectory right but at the same time it will allow us to go back and go well here's everything that was set in kind of what happened in the second episode here's everything that set, got set in right pre and so we would kind of like bounce back and forth between us and the 20 years thereof and then everything that was pre-us and then you know because it's all the same it's just like how it's playing out at different yeah. parts yeah okay <laughs> so let me see <laughs> am I supposed to strike up some subjects there what's on the list um I mean, the list has attachment styles, ego relationship resolution, external validation seeking. Uh, what was that? Uh, active achieve love, achieve for love. Oh, I have to. I have to achieve in order to get love. Oh, achieve for love. Okay, that didn't make sense to me. That's because it's your thing. <laughs> and then scarcity, right? Oh, there, there you go. This is something that came up to me this morning that I think is very applicable um that that sets it what one i think sets in the origin of the pain body right from the start and that's your origin story right right and so so i thought okay that is maybe maybe this would be the time to bring up both my origin story and then your origin story okay and then start to like decode it and then showcase how the nuances of that propagate. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably talk about how all of those things stem came, out of that came up in our youth and childhood. Yeah. Am I up first? Um, first? No, I was just taking a sip. So, no, so yeah. So, my, my, I had recently had a birthday. And then when my parents came over, more things came out that I did not even know, right? And I'm like, oh, okay, that kind of concretifies the whole thing even more, right? So, like, not only the origin story is convoluted, it just, like, there's more stuff to add on. So, mine is a little bit more precarious than yours. So, I don't know if, did you want to do yours? Because mine is very lengthy. (laughs) No, go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so... And and I, I I was thinking about yours as well. So uh, how about this? Once we get into yours, I will chime in into yours. Okay. I can probably chime in into yours. So the, the reason why the origin story is important, I've heard other people talk about this, is because when you are a child and you basically have zero um, r- right cognitive processing response to what is being said to you, like right truth versus not, because let's be honest, you're not, at that point, you're not realizing that some things that are being said or done are possibly one unkosher or possibly not true, right? So you just kind of take everything at at its own weight and then run with it, right? So so mine, I say this because mine is not actually true, but it became true. And so I call it the table leg. <laughs> the infamous table leg. <laughs> I bring this up a lot. Uh, but I have worked with it for so long now that I do not have the influx of energy associated with it. And what's interesting is I have kind of turned it around into more of a superpower as opposed to a crutch, right? Crutch? That would be, would that be the right one? Yeah. Yeah. And so growing up, when I ask my parents, maybe I do still have an influx on it because I'm still like getting an arousal in my in my stomach area and my chest. Um, when I ask my parents where I came from, their 
their response was that I was adopted uh, and they went to an orphanage. Something every child wants to hear. <laughs> they went to an orphanage and then at the orphanage, they had on one side, which in my childhood imagination, I imagined it on the right, was all the good kids in, in their cribs laying peacefully in their beds. Uh, and on the left side was I, as a baby, tied to a table leg with ropes because I was so bad and unwanted, right? And the parents went, uh, you know, when the parents came to the orphanage to adopt, they asked what was wrong with this kid over here, me, pointing at me. So I kind of, like, I have this whole movie in my head about this. Uh, and then the, I guess the the nurses, I guess, I don't know who this would be, at the orphanage, uh, you participating? Uh, said that, oh, no, you don't want that one. It's super bad. Uh, you want one of those. And then they, out of the goodness of their heart, I guess, <laughs> decided to adopt me instead. Take pity on you. Well, but that's the thing. So I will say this because, you know, there's a good chance they might be listening to this. Um, I think, and I do, I do know, they meant this yeah. in a very positive I can see, way. I can see how it could be meant and even could be taken in a in a positive way to make it seem like, oh, we really want you. You're so special to us. I, I, I get that. Yeah, right. But at the if you're just a a child and you don't understand, are you okay with her coming too? Uh, if you're just a child and you're you don't understand the nuance and the detail of of oh, this is a positive thing. There, right? There's right. there's not. I can't. I can see right how now, it can also go very very wrong. And oh my gosh, I was so so bad and so unwanted that that I wasn't even with the good kids. I was literally separated from them. Yeah, yeah. I was literally tied to a table. None of this happened. This is all... Yeah, no, this is not my origin story. <laughs> but however, this is the story I was told at least two times that I know of, of where I came from. So instead of... Now, I, on top of that, I will say I have also heard stories of my true origin story, right? The true story of my birth and, and, then, and then it got added on. But... To begin with, to address the one that I heard about the table leg, um, if you hear something like that and you don't know how to process it, and the only thing you're able to take away of it, something from it, is something negative, right? Which is basically, I don't know why that was the tendency, but that is the direction I went as a child, is that within me, I embodied that story as my truth. And so that story became that, I'm not like anyone else, which now I realize is a positive thing. <laughs> right. Uh, I am completely different, which is right, which is also true, and I I see that as a positive thing, and that and that, but I guess on the negative part of it is, is I'm unwanted, and that was the thing I think that registered the most hardest is I'm unwanted, right? And in last episode, or maybe even the first episode, we talked about safety, right? And that as a child, being unwanted, right, without really further exploration or being able to dive in into the depth of self, being wanted means you survive, right? You're not left at the orphanage, not being fed tied to a table leg. And so that really, I think that really set in this really a messed up way of looking at yourself for me right I, the way i looked at myself was quite messed up i think because right from the core right what what that meant and obviously this is all by design i want to as i address these things on the physical three-dimensional plane i do want to say that you know they th that existed there for a very specific reason right a reason of i needed to feel alienated and I needed to feel alone and I needed to feel helpless and I needed to feel um, different and then dirty and unwanted uh, in order to have the life that I had. And so, yeah, so maybe I do still have some emotional influx about that. But yeah, but but at the same time, right, I say this because it's a really messed up story to have, but I think all of us, I know you, at the core have this understanding like 
oh yeah, I am unwanted and I'm alone and I'm not loved and and whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of this pervasive undercurrent of of like my whole life. It's just, it's kind of like, it's always there. It's always been there. Yeah. And uh, and without, and I've never really, until really recently, d- dove into it to where did this come from? Why, why do I feel, how exactly do I feel? Because it's like, in the end, it all comes down to unwanted or unloved or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but there's special, unique flavors. Everyone has their own little unique flavor of it that makes it a little bit more nuanced. Is our cat messing with our lights? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there will be a huge shadow of a cat there's, on the wall. <laughs> I don't. I don't say it right now, but there will be. <laughs> no. Yeah. And right. And so. At the core, I think my my story, as in truth as it is, like embodies this pain body of a whole humanity because somehow at the core, for whatever reason, we decide or we are some we're told something or we interpret something to where we are unlovable, we are unwanted, we are a bad, inherently bad, right? In this case, like I don't even know what a baby could have possibly done to be bad, to be by the table like tied with ropes as opposed to being in the crib like all the good babies right Right. but as a child you're like oh my gosh i must be really bad if if the nurses are taking me out of my crib and putting me over there did you imagine yourself sitting against the table leg yeah i was sitting against the table leg but like yeah but if i'm a baby i don't even know how that right so obviously the nuances didn't make sense but i was giving just enough story to build my own full movie out of it. Yeah. I, and that became my truth. I imagine you tie, you like. Sitting like, upright. Sitting upright. Like how if a pirate's going to like abduct someone, they're going to tie them to the, to the mast or just wrapped around you and the table like a couple yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, or something. yeah. yeah. And, yeah and, you know, thick rope. A thick rope. So I can't escape way, as way, a baby. Way, like nautical rope. It's probably like a good, <laughs> good inch thick, which, you know, is not much smaller than you when you're an infant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me get her off. She's she's gonna argue with me. She's gonna argue back. <laughs> like what? You don't want me to uh, mess up? This is my podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So like the details and the nuances that I worked with to design that story, you know, were really real to me. So even though it was this like cute little story that you tell to a child, it, it really like became my truth. Yeah. And so so yeah. So I kind of like went the rest of my life. Unbeknownst to self, living that truth that I am dirty and I'm unwanted. And what what I think what really made it even more pronounced in my life or caused me more heartache than not is when you are un- unwanted and dirty, right? Anytime somebody does want you, there sets in that scarcity mindset of guess what? This is the best you're gonna get. Because in my case, my parent, when my parents adopted me out of that orphanage, that was my only chance out, right? And I was supposed to be forever grateful for the fact that you were saved. That I was saved by my parents, right? And so, and so because of that, I think everything that I approached in life, right? Any opportunity that I got or any any job that I had, right? I think it really transferred into jobs. I I would like hold on to it and I would, um, I think it affected my self-esteem. That's what it was, right? My self-esteem was like, guess what? You are unwanted, right? So if I was in a job situation that wasn't healthy, I was less likely to leave it because, because guess what? Where am I going to go? Yeah. You're going to go back to the orphanage tied to a table leg? I mean, to some degree, you feel like you don't deserve it. Or not? No, I didn't read. No, it was just the scarcity mindset of this is, I it's, got okay, this opportunity. So it's, it's, it's not that you don't deserve it. It's that you're just not, another opportunity is not going to come come around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So like, right. Like I should be grateful for what I have. And and because I'm not good, right. Because I'm bad, right. Because I'm tied to a table, table leg. I'm bad. Then I might not, there might not be another opportunity. Right. So then if you are in a crappy job situation, that scarcity mindset in my case, because this, you know, build my self-esteem to be extremely low. Um, 
set in as, oh no, I'm not going to quit this job because where am I going to go? Right. Or, oh no, I'm going to let people treat me the way they're treating me because where else am I going to do? Right. And so that, that almost became like the self-deprecating filter that I allowed the world to punch me with. And so it was, you know, really kind of quite literally the origin story of, of, I, I, in fact, even like a lie, like a fairy tale. Right. All based on a story that was supposed to make you feel special. Yeah. That completely backfired on their end and, and then resulted in me, you know, having to take 35 years or so to uncover that and go, my gosh, I'm living through that lie. I'm still living through that lie. Yeah. And so the scarcity is there. The self-esteem is low. Um, and so that propagates actions, right? So half of the time, you know, last time we were talking about not being able to say no to someone, that sets in, right? So if the self-esteem is low, uh, if you are in a scarcity mindset of people liking you, right? All of that would come into play if that is at the core, right? You're thinking that you are dirty and unlovable and bad somehow and then and then therefore need you know this is the best you're going to get right it's almost that it's like this is the best you're going to get yeah i mean it makes sense you can you can you can see how you can draw a straight line from from that to to that yeah 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 there's there's cat hair everywhere oh no <laughs> i told you it's going to be cat hair everywhere. my nose <laughs> Yeah, and so so then there's the other half that I did get, but I, of course at the same time I did get to hear my real origin story of how you know difficult it was for my mom to go into labor, and then just in the recent couple of days, it just got clarified even more that my mom was basically dying from kidney failure, uh, and so I I think as a child it just kind of like came out when she was halfway unconscious as they were trying to save her. I don't even know what you do in Soviet Ukraine in order to try to save someone from kidney failure. Um, and then so like I think she was just out for the first three days to where I think that I was thinking that probably also affects th- some kind of connection or some kind of development. Not seeing a newborn baby, not newborn seeing a mother. baby, not being connected to the mother for the first three days for sure. Yeah. And then later it turned out that I was in a hospital for weeks. I don't. What, I don't. What do you? What do you eat? Is it? Is it just formula or is it some other? I, I don't even know. Like right. Like what do they feed me I for the no first idea. three days? I'm assuming in Ukraine, like uh, sharing sharing milk was probably common. Maybe or maybe maybe, they, maybe the hospital had a little stash of it. Maybe had formula. I don't know what they. I have no idea because obviously if she's out unconscious for three days, right. then I I'm elsewhere. Yeah. So which I was thinking, I there that is probably. So, and I think this relates to you, the connection that you establish with your mother, with your caretaker, right out of the bat, right, probably signifies a lot about the type of relationship that you are. She's like literally yelling back at me. Really, Lyra? Um, This signifies of what kind of, right, like... mm, like maybe the the root chakra baseline stability is almost set in there, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's like foundational to to a to a person, but especially to a to a child. To a newborn, right? Yeah, to I where, mean, it starts right there. Yeah, to where in, in America and when we had our two children, like to them, their goal, the nurses, when the baby comes out, is to clean it up as fast as possible. Yeah. So they can plop it on your chest. To yeah. have that it's, initial it's, connection. The kids were on your chest within a minute, yeah. maybe two. Yeah, because they were just rushing to get them clean. It's like, okay, 10 fingers, 10 toes, put that goo in their eyes, clean them off a little bit, here's some here's some food. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and then they, and they were basically yeah. trying to get it to latch onto my breast within, it's imme- within a minute. It's, it's immediate. Yeah. Which, I, you know, I guess makes sense. That's what you, that's what a, a newborn, anything just needs that, that, Connection. Yeah. No, well, I mean, obviously they're doing it for a reason, right? Yeah. You see those those videos of like, I don't know, a a mother cat who ends up that's the first thing that a newborn chick chicken chick sees. And so the chicken's like, Oh, you're mommy. And so the chick just follows mama cat around and it's just one of the one of the litter. 
And it's like, oh, you know, it, it literally imprints, this is, this is safety, this is mom. Yeah. And so what happens if you're separated from her for days or weeks because, you know, she's sick or you're sick as an infant? Yeah, no, I, I think don't know. It, so I think it, what it does is changes your relationship structure, right? And then, so that's the true origin story. And then if you take on the, the, the story, you know, almost maybe, maybe the true origin story was similar in a sense that I was alone and abandoned and I felt alone and abandoned just as such an infant that I would never remember that. So maybe the, the story that my parents actually told me was energetically true to where I could connect with it, right? Because if they didn't make that story up, right, I, w- I would have never been able to still dig deep and go, well, where's the lack right. of connection Why coming from? Why do I from? feel like this? Yeah, yeah. And so so it maybe as a gift, um, they gave me this concrete story that I could grab onto and hold on to, but that, and then therefore unravel later. At the time, obviously, I didn't see it as a gift, but I, you know, since since I've been working with it and I've branded it as a table like it has been uh, I've seen it kind of right you kind of turn it into a superpower more so as opposed to a um, a weakness yeah yeah so so yeah I mean I think that's set in really at the origin really at the core lifetime full of mess I will use kind words today that that you know that propagated all kinds of subconscious programming that I would run and and then and then be part and then the experiences I chose to participate in or direct results of that, quite literally, right? Like if that wasn't my origin story, right, I would have self-esteem to do to get a better job or to whatever, right? To say no to people. I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't have would have not been here with you today right because you and I would have never gotten married because of that so so yeah so there's there's positives out of out of everything even as negative as it is yeah yeah okay so so yeah so that I say this because I think it is important because all people at the core have something like that that basically affects them so far forward into their life that uh that that you almost need to go that far deep into your life to uncover what is it that is your story. So do you want to go into yours now? Sure. I um <clears throat> let's see. I I don't think it was really explicitly said, but I always had the idea that I had to like earn love from 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 everybody, but you know, specifically from from my parents growing up. And so the way that I uh embodied that was by achieving stuff. You know, I was I was a good a good boy, I was a good student, I was a good a good everything. That was I that had become my and, and and it was it was encouraged, it was rewarded. And so the it set up this sort of reward behavior feedback loop where the the better I would do, the more praise I would get, which I would directly interpret as love. And so then I would do more of it. And on one hand, you know, that's better than gambling or drugs. And that actually, you know, in a sense, served me well, you know, academically and professionally. But having that that connection between doing stuff and achievement and and love really kind of messed me up. And uh, when did that start? I'm not sure. Young, young. Um, I, I have a brother three years younger. And I, I don't think I was ever explicitly compared to him by my parents. Oh, you did better, you did worse, anything like that. But I kind of internally had my own little competition going on where if I could be better, then I would get more love. Um, and so I would, <clears throat> I would do whatever I could to be, to be better, get better grades, do have more achievements, do this first, do whatever it is. I would kind of go out of my way to 
you could say overachieve. I don't know. And so, you know, past that, you know, you get into get into into school and, and high school and college. And I, you know, I I got really good at trying at knowing what the teacher wanted to hear, and I would write that down as as my answer. You know, is that what I believe? Maybe, maybe not. Is that the 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 right answer? I it doesn't matter. I I I could I I could manipulate the situation in order to make me look the best. And and that became my MO for life. In 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 work I would, you know, do over overdo, over go overboard and 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 you know, show off. I was yeah, I was careful not to show off in like a flashy way, but I would like, you know, oh, can I have something else to do? Can I, you know, almost suck up style in order to, oh, good job. Oh, you did a good job. Oh, you know. Not because I necessarily enjoyed the work, but because I I was just craving that that praise. Praise equals love. And I didn't, I just didn't recently I've realized it's because I didn't feel it for myself. I didn't love myself. And so I was seeking this external validation, external source of love, which is really just validation in order to to fill that hole that was that was inside of me for as long as i can remember yeah but um at the same time th- i think we've talked about this in the past though i'll bring it up because i think it's important here your um the reason why you were seeking validation to get love the reason why you believe that the only way you can get love is through overachievement, right? And and validation is because otherwise you were unlovable. Okay, yeah. So I mean, step, that's, I think that's the important part. Yeah, I I inherently felt un unlovable, and my my particular flavor was that I felt like I was just fundamentally broken. W- why? I'm not sure. I can track down like an an event that 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 caused that. But I know I always felt a little bit odd, a little bit different than everybody else. And, um, and I, I just felt like there was just something wrong with me and well, I can make up for it by going out of my way to, to earn this, uh, attention and validation well, and love. Well, no, the, if you are unlovable, the second you feel yourself getting love and it's associated with an action, as a child, the only thing you can go, look, if I do this, I get that thing that I'm not getting. Yeah, it's that feedback loop. It's, yeah, yeah. I do this, oh, I, I feel like I have this hole. I'm missing something. Yeah. Now I know that that actually comes from within. But, but as a as a child, I had no idea. All I know is that I feel like something is missing. Oh, when I do this, I feel like I'm that is getting filled, at least to some degree. I will do more of this. And the more I do and the more I get, it just reinforces it. And then it's just, how could it possibly be any other way? And I guess I just assumed everybody else was kind of like that. I think every child assumes that everybody else is kind of like them until a certain age when they're like, oh no, everybody's messed up in their own way. <laughs> but, I, I say, right, in our own flavor of Kool-Aid, but that's still, you know, we're still drinking Kool-Aid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a multitude of metaphors there. Right. It, yeah, your nuance is slightly different, right? You're going there overachieving. But at the core, you're unlovable. Might as well be tied to a table like at an orphanage. Yeah. Unwanted. It's it, in, a, in a, you know, I grew up in middle class uh, household in, in, in America. And there was no, I didn't have any of the actual physical struggles that you went through growing up. Um, it was whatever I wanted, I, I would end up getting, I didn't have crazy things. You know, I wanted a, Ooh, a Nintendo and you know, one would come for Christmas. Uh, all, all my physical needs were, were taken care of. Um, but for whatever reason, I felt like I was just fundamentally broken, therefore unlovable. And, you know, even, even when, there was even this little nagging sensation that when 
when I would get praise or when I, when I would get what I would interpret as love, that it was maybe a little out of pity, a little phony, a little... Um, so even the love you get, you would get, you would still not interpret it as honest. Right. Because it's like, because, because I had to do something to get it. And I kind of knew that, you know, you shouldn't have to do something to get it. Right. I mean, you see any, any cartoon or something and it's not, you can, you can earn, you know, I guess respect or, or honor or something, but you know, love, uh, is that something you you earn? Maybe maybe that's not how it's supposed to work. No, I mean, I, but right as a child, you don't know that. Right, I just I just knew that when I was good in quotes, whatever that meant that day, I would get some sort of attention, affection, something that I would interpret as love. I'm like, oh, this is what it takes to be loved. I have to, I have to achieve. I have to achieve better than whoever's next to me. Whether it's my brother, whether it's my coworker, whether it's it doesn't matter. I just have to be the sometimes me. You yeah, sure. My spouse. <laughs> I have to be the 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 shining star so that the spotlight would go on me. And I'm not I you know, now I'm more extroverted, but I was an introverted type of guy. I don't want I only want certain types of attention. I didn't I don't want to be well, I don't you know. This would this would have been super uncomfortable. Not that long ago, just, you know, talking into a microphone. Any sort to, of public to speaking? To me. To you? Well, it's only you. Both both of our listeners, our <laughs> children. Um, so I don't know. It was just, it was specific types of attention that I was, I had mastered the craft of, of, of getting. Yeah. But, but. On that same level, what that is, is just a mindset of scarcity. It is. It, it is. There is a mindset of the only way I can get loved is by doing this. And I have, so I have to keep doing this. I literally have to. This feeds into, you know, well, I also can't do the opposite of that. I can't say no. I can't disagree. I can't voice my own opinion, which eventually turns into I can't have my own opinion. Yeah. There was a, you know, a children should be seen and not heard type of mentality that I grew up with that, you know, doesn't- Yeah, but that just validates you as yeah, a human. It doesn't encourage having your own opinion. It doesn't encourage independent thought. It kind of encourages, you know, you blend into the background with all the others and uh, we'll let you know if we need you. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I, I didn't get that. I didn't get the whole like, even though at the core, maybe I thought I was not worthy or not good, right? The way my parents raised me, I didn't feel the like I didn't have a voice. Yeah, I mean, I would I would be asked, you know, about my day. What do you think about this or that? But it wasn't like if I couldn't go. Yeah. I don't want to go to church anymore. That would not have been <laughs> something to say growing up. Yeah, maybe we should go into that. Okay, well, I, I was raised in a very strict fundamentalist type of religion with very strict and archaic views on any of the modern topics that... uh you know, kind of, kind of reinforces that, you know, you have to, you have to behave, you have to do good or, or you will go to hell. You can't, uh, you name it, you can't, like they're, they, this religion is the, is the one and only chosen religion and everyone else is going to hell. All the Jews, all the Muslims, all the Catholics, all the Baptists, everyone else going to hell. You literally married someone who's going to hell. Um, yeah, right. If only you could save me. <laughs> so, you know, this is, you know, you grow up with this like, oh, we're the, how, you know, how, how lucky are we to be the, 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 the chosen, the chosen people. people, right? <laughs> the, you know, there's only like 2 million of them in, in the world, but you know, lucky 2 million. Uh, I love, and, I love how every religion is the chosen people. Right. And they, uh, 
right? There was this like, I remember there was this chart on the wall and it had, on the left was Jesus. And there's a straight line to, to the church today. And branching off at various points, like a little fishbone diagram is, oh, here's the Catholic church and here's the, the Protestants branch off of that and the Methodists and the Baptists and they all branch off, but there's a straight line. Not even a dotted line, a straight line. We all know what a straight line means. This is, this is a direct connection. Jesus started this church and here we are continuing it today. Not, it is never, never was broken. Until I, you know, learn at like age 16 or 17, oh, wait, this church was started in 18, what? 1800 something? Oh, I, that line isn't that straight then, is it? And that I, I just felt so misled and lied to and deceived when I, when I learned that, that kind of started my <laughs> cat attack. Jumped on the chair and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that started my exodus, as it was, as it were. From see what I did there? Yeah, I like that. From the from from the church, which was met with great resistance from my parents. That was, uh, I guess, really that was the only real act of defiance that I did that in marrying you. That was the only act of defiance I ever really did uh, growing up. And even that, that was, you know, I was 16, 17, maybe 18. I don't know. It was late high school. Yeah. But, but that goes back to that control, right? Like the, the system and in your case, in this case, your parental upbringing has you programmed into uh, rigid adherence to the rules. Right. And it was, it was hard. It was, it was hard. It was really hard because on one hand, it, I'm like, here is this thing that I just absolutely do not believe in anymore. I, I went from being a religious person to 180 degrees, just militant atheist, because I felt so lied to and deceived and manipulated by this church. And so I just went, I don't want anything to do with any of it. And I would refuse to go, um, which is hard, hard for me to say no, hard for me to go against the, the, uh, the, the grain like that. And, you know, that it did feel like I was like cutting off my love supply. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like, you probably were. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that drove a wedge between me and my family. Yeah, but but the love supply you were getting, let's be honest, was basically like some sort of fix. Yeah, no, it was. It was, it was exactly not even that. honest. It was just a fix that you needed. Yeah. Um. But you know, I, then I'm off off to college, and then I'm out. So I was only in that house for two years after that. Two and a half, three years after that. No, maybe. You didn't, you didn't move out. Until I met you. Yeah, I was And then I met you in the 20s, right? Or I was maybe four years. Yeah. Three or four years. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the, the high point. Yeah, but that, that shows you, right, you are being raised in such an environment that you are unable to have your own voice. Right. I, it's something that uh, as, I don't know. I know it was important to them. I understand that. But it was so important to them that, you know, I was not allowed to have an opinion on, on the subject. Yeah. Is there a balance, though, between having something be important to you and then at the same time, while you're a parent raising a child, allowing your child to be its own human being? Right. There's, I mean, there's the, the prodigal son allegory in, in the Bible where the, uh, the, the son runs off and, and blows his inheritance and then comes, comes back and the father just, you know, welcomes him right back despite, you know, having gone off and, you know, wasted away his, his money and, and his life and everything. So yeah. it's like, I know in their eyes, this is a mistake, but it's my mistake to make. And I don't know. It, I have. Now will that come through? <laughs> Boy. <laughs> so, um, it, 
in my mind, the stricter that a child is raised, the more rebellious they will be when they have the option to. And that was my experience. And conversely, the more relaxed a child is raised, the less need they will have to rebel and do crazy and stupid things. So I was raised extremely strict and conservative. And there was, you know, there was no alcohol, there was no sex, there was no drugs, there was no, you know, having an opinion or anything like that. And as soon as I got out of that situation, I just went crazy with it all. So. But, you know, not, and that's what it comes down to, I think. Not because you wanted to. Right. It wasn't even, it, I mean, ha half of it is, you know, what, what is, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, what, eight, 17, 18. I've never, I've never had any alcohol and I have no idea what it is. And all of a sudden I have a, a, a friend that I can get something from. And so, okay. Oh, that's neat. But, but it, half of it is a little, is, is rebellion too. Just, just, I'm doing this because almost as, as a shot back. I think most of it is rebellion. Is, is it, is it not most of it? Is, is a higher percentage of rebellion than? Probably. Probably it's rebellion. It's like, oh, now I feel like I have some control. Yeah, it's lack of control. Yeah. They have, you were raised in a situation where you are not allowed to. I should have started out there, like at the beginning of my, my story. Mm. Oi. <laughs> that uh, lack of control is really the, the, the root thing that I felt. Lack of control and and lack of lack of love not not lack of love but you know i had to earn it but like that was the the only way i could earn it was through control i could oh how can i get this how can i fill this hole that i feel inside because i don't love myself i can control the situation to get love control or manipulate same thing same thing i mean control through manipulation yeah yeah <laughs> But, you know, you're fighting for the lack of control or you're fighting for control because you feel like your situation of upbringing is unfair. It's un yeah, it's unfair. It's, it's out unfair. Of, it's out of my, I have no control over this. And I, you know, yeah. even then I could understand that I have, you know, there are things that you do and don't have control over. But it felt like that these particular things or a lot of them were, I had no control over and it was unfair. And that, and it was like, I could have control over them if I if I tried hard enough or if I said something which was hard to do but like you know oh I don't I don't have any control over gravity okay that's fine but I probably do I do have control over uh you know going to church I can eventually say no I'm not going to do that anymore You almost need to get a blanket for your lap so she I can know. just come into it I'm going to have to rearrange it for the next podcast. Um, I'm afraid her purring is going to come through. Yeah, she does. Well, I mean, when she settles, she stops purring. She's going to the other chair now. Um, yeah, whenever, when it, I mean, and I'm just saying, I'm just recalling this just based, because I think it would be useful for you to bring this up. Whenever you would, get a no from them. It was not no with an explanation. It was no because we said so. Because we said so. There was right. a lot of because we said so. Yeah. So, so yes, you can, I think, you know, we are raising our children and if we do tell them a no, there's this adult-like conversation of why it's a no. There's an explanation like, yeah. oh, I, no, like why can't... can I not cross the street alone coming home from elementary school, right? Yeah, because it's dangerous and because people... People get hit, and because as careful as you may be, there's some guy who's texting driving down the road at 30 above the speed limit. Yeah, no. So, one, you know, there's the fears, and we can address those later. But, but anytime we say no, I think we at least try to do our due diligence to say no, and, and here's all the factors that we're factoring into it. Yeah. Right? Now, you know. With with them being older, I think they can now comprehend this. And so when you're a child, like you see you're three or four, and mommy and daddy say no, a lot of times adults 
start saying no because I said so or because that's how it is, right? That, that like, what's the word? Um, infallible statement of like, this is how it is. And so you get into that pattern because you think, oh, at three, my child doesn't need to know the details of why this is a no, right? Right. But, but then, but then you could be just as innocent as that. But then come the age of 10 or 16, you're progressing just saying, because I said so, because that's just how it is, right? right? And so you get, you're raising these children who are taught from an early age not to have a voice. Right. Just defer to the authority yeah. for, for everything. Yeah. And you, know, but, and, and you can't even question it. But that's the thing is because it is just the way it is, you get ingrained into that as a pattern of life. Oh, well. The teacher tells me to do this. Oh, I, I, there's no question. You know, the teacher goes, tells me to jump off the bridge. Well, obviously, you would hope you're going to school whether or not, but where do they are, right? Does your child have the 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 mental capacity? And then two, I hate to say it, guts to to say, yeah, I'm not doing that. That doesn't feel right to me. Right? So it's like that. that uh, is the goal to raise a complacent robot that just follows all instruction without question, without reason? Or is the goal for them to have their own anonymity? Right. And then and then be able to make their own decision. At the same time, make their own mistakes, but give them freedom so they don't rebel and go into some crazy situation like you do. And I think, like, culturally, when when our when our parent, my parents were, were growing up, a, a non-thinking, complacent, robot person was more valuable than they are today to society maybe to, to society uh, yeah I'm, I'm monetarily valuable as as a worker right now that is that is not you what you what is re rewarded in the workplace is someone who can think and who can question and who can come up with ideas and you know stuff like that so i know there is a societal shift around that and there's less Demand for, yeah, you know, a, a factory type of a job, and there's more demand for a more thinking. Um, what what are the Chad GPT type of job? Chad GPT, right? <laughs> I say that. Um, in, in, knowledge workers—that's the term. Knowledge workers, information workers. Instead of instead of making physical goods, now the valuable commodity is information. And so people who are unable to question, unable to think, are at a big disadvantage. Well, it's so right. So the goal with the parents, like, oh, I want you to think in these situations, but when it comes to questioning my authority or yeah. going against my grade. I don't want you to think there. Yeah, and I'm not sure it really works that way. I know, I don't think it works. It, it's it becomes do you do you I mean, I I think that a person should be should of course should be allowed to, but should question just about everything. And it's like, you know, does this make sense? Do I agree with this? And you know, yeah, I you, there are some things that are, you know, I guess physical laws, you know, I don't agree with gravity. Well, too bad. It's going to happen anyway. But, you know, I don't agree with uh, the the teaching of, of this church. Well, is it too bad you're coming going anyway? Or is it, well, let's talk about it. Why is that? What, yeah. what is it that, that you think it should be different? What do you disagree with? And that would be, that would have been a great conversation to have for 16, 17 year old me. And I can explain why positions and maybe they can maybe they can point to some scripture that in my opinion would have been misinterpreted to uh to support their thing and uh I don't know but a conversation would have been a lot better than no get in the car yeah this is the way it is period you yeah. don't have a voice in this but that but that was the story of your whole upbringing you yeah. don't have a voice right and the now, second you start to have a voice, it is the end of the world. It is. It is the end of the world. And I mean, going back to what we talked about last time, where, you know, if I if I were to say that, you know, I if I were to express my my feelings, you know, I I I I feel that, you know, you're doing this or I feel like this, you know, this isn't fair or whatever. Oh, they, they there was always this 
gaslighting of, oh, no, that's not what we meant. Oh, that's not how it was. Just that type of thing. So, yes, there's a lot of uh, chaos back then. Yeah. I mean, chaos or just like it. I guess it didn't feel chaotic. It was, in fact, rather orderly. But it was this prescribed order from above. Yeah, control. Control. It was control. And yeah. I felt like I had no control. Yeah. Which is what led me into uh, computers was because, oh, here's this little world inside of this box and I have complete control. <laughs> and I can make it sing and dance and do whatever I want. And I I have control in this little realm. And I got really good at it. I mean, it was your coping mechanism. It was my, uh, yes, it was my coping mechanism, but it was my, it was my little universe to explore because I have complete control here. I have no control in real life, but here I have control. And, you know, I, I guess in the end that turned out to be a profitable thing to get into. Well, no, but, but it, it allowed you, I mean, it was a coping mechanism in the sense that it provided you with. A sense of control. Sense of control, but then it was also a mechanism that provided you with love. Yeah, because oh, so you, you use that I use one a, thing yeah. to solve two right? of your core problems. Efficiency. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely did. Yeah, kill, killing two birds with one stone. That's right. Yeah, right, right. But I saying all of this, I think. The realization there is that these are like nuanced and personal stories, but the, how they apply like on the larger scale is that they're kind of everybody's story. Right. Everybody probably has a story that's probably not the same details, but they they can see, oh yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a church, but you know, I had to go to the school that I really didn't want to go to or, or, you know, we had to, we had to go, we had to be friends with these, these people next door that, you know, I really didn't like. Or whatever, whatever it is, and it it may be that you don't have an awful lot of control over what school you go to. You don't have an awful lot of control over what church you go to, or what, or who your neighbors are. But you know, not even being able to object or have a conversation around around that. Yeah. So the, you know, that's that's in a feeling of helplessness. Yeah, I felt right? very, I felt very helpless. Yeah, let me write that one down. Yeah. So in my on my end, uh, I, you know, even though at the family level, I am not living in the position of no control, but on the countrywide level, that is where my position of no control is coming from, right? That helplessness, because the the country we're growing up with is, you know, I'm growing up with is living with limited resources, with corruption. And so, you know, there's lack of food, there's lack of like daily necessities. So even though you, if you have money just with the lack of resources, right, there's this sense of um, like, there's nothing you can do, right? It's for your basic needs, right? So you're experiencing that on like, oh, well, I just don't want to go to church. And now I'm experiencing that like, oh, I just want food. Right. And it's like, it's like my- But the story is the same. The story is the same. And it's almost like, oh, mine is so benign. And it's like- No, it sets in this exact same pain no, I, body. I, I, that I understand. Is, yeah. I understand. It, it was very real and very serious to me, but I was never, never hungry. I, I, the idea that there's no food never crossed my mind. Yeah. But that, but that- helplessness like oh i have no control there's nothing i can do in order to make sure that i have food for tomorrow one on, on my level as a child but two i'm also seeing my parents struggle through the same thing right yeah and so that that lack of control that helplessness it just sits as almost like i know for sure on our family level but then now that i think back it was set like country level wide right like or the whole country is in some turmoil. And if someone is well off, it's because they are 
shystering their way in the world and they're bribing people and they're cheating the system or whatever, whatever, whatever. And they, the honest folks, you know, are, you know, are not getting anywhere. And yeah. And so, but the pain body is the same regardless of you growing up in middle-class America with Nintendo, whatever they are, or, or, or Ukraine, you know, Soviet Ukraine. Yeah. Is you're, you're getting the same pain body of, I don't have control. And then therefore, sooner or later, in my case, it goes into scarcity uh, and helplessness, right? And in your case, that lack of control, because you feel helpless about it, then it has you rebelling into action, right? Yeah. And in my case, it has me basically probably for the first, as soon as I was able to get a job and start making money, that was the first thing I did, right? So because so, that idea of scarcity of not having money, not being able to buy food, um, it was so so much bigger than just even uh, my family level that I felt like, oh, if I can start getting a job and if I can start making money, it will gave it gave me the sense of some control. That's funny because I all when I when I was young, I also wanted a job because that would I would have this control over yeah over my more control over my time and you know i would have money to do with what i wanted which i didn't need but yeah. i still wanted and maybe maybe there would be some you know i not that your high school job is is a career but there would have been some purpose in there too well at a high school level you get a job and in your case i don't need the money in my case i do need the money but the fact that Right, because you're, you're living a pain body, you're not addressing it any other way, right? You're not cognitively sitting there as a teenager, rolling through your head going, what is it that I'm actually feeling inside and let me start to process? That's not an option, right? Which I'm hoping it might be an option if you're listening to this. But because it wasn't an option to us and we didn't even have the foresight to look at it, the only way we could address it was through physical action. Well, Okay, I don't have control. I do feel helpless. There's a sense of scarcity. What can I do? Oh, well, I can go get a job and I can go, in my case, make five fifteen an hour, uh, you know, bagging groceries. And then there's action. So at the end of the day, when I lay down in the bed, I went, oh, guess what? I did something that was a forward progress towards the pacification of feeling like, my life was helpless or we're poor yeah, yeah. or we don't have food. You did you did something. I did yeah, something. I, I'm gotta do something. Well no, right, but that's what it is. That that lack of control and helplessness positions itself or sets itself in as action. Action into the world. Yeah. And that's right? what that's what exerting exercising control looks like. It looks like action. It looks like doing something to to Evoke some sort of change. Yeah, that's I think that's, I think that's like that's what control means to me is being able to change something through some sort of action. Yeah, but in truth, is on the larger scale is is to pacify yourself into not feeling like shit right. about the fact that you don't have it. Right. And so that that's the other part of this is that's where it actually is is is. We have said all this in the sense that that is how it looks like and that is how it propagates itself in our life. But on the scale of having lived with it for so long, I say the right action. But at the time when you're ready, you would need to unravel, which is what we're doing right now, is unraveling how that pain body of control and helplessness and scarcity actually presents itself. And instead of living with it and then trying to pacify yourself in the physical world with 3D, how can I start to let go of it and release it? And like allow, allow that energy to flow, right? Like, and so by analyzing it, like we do, right? Analyzing like, well, here's where it came from. It came from the idea that my parents did this, right? Or the country was in this situation. But at the core, what's at the core? The vibrational frequency is, I seem to, you know, function in distress with lack of control. 
And so my actions of self are there as pacifiers. I mean, I think a lot, maybe most people get feel some distress through lack of control. I think everybody feels like, I mean, that, right? that's why we do stuff. Why does anybody go to work? Is because they feel like, guess what? If I don't do something, I can't pay my bills. I don't have a car, right? I, I. And that's not to say that that isn't necessarily even true. Yeah, but you can. But they're doing that through the pain body. We were doing that. We're still doing some things through that pain body, right? You could still continue to go to work, and you can still make mortgage payments and make car payments, and you know, do whatever, even the same stuff, but with active awareness that. Here's what's behind it. Here's the pain that is behind it. That's something we can talk about later is how when you become aware of this, the actions may end up looking the same, especially to an out, outside viewer. You know, you're still doing the same things. It still appears the same, but you're doing it with a different intention or a different purpose or a different, not, out of, not, not trying to feed or appease the pain body. It becomes more more honest, more, you know, yeah. true. Yeah, well, it stems from the core of, of just you being you as opposed to you doing things in order to save yourself from something. Yeah. Like, right, you being you out of abundance almost or like or out of just experience of self or out of love or out of joy as opposed to, oh, shit, I might not have food tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, even if you're doing something you don't like, you can, you know, do it with with that from that place, and it is a lot more enjoyable than doing it out of oh, I have to, whatever it is, in order to, in order to pay the bills, I have to. Like what? Like you mean like having a job that you don't like? Yeah, having a job you don't like or something. Oh well, or just. Just not have that job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in the long run, it depends how bad that is, right? Yeah. Like there are certain jobs you shouldn't be having if they're energetically not lining lining up with you. I say that because, right, the reason why I had my job and I hated it and I should have quit, right? But the pain body, right, of of like, oh my gosh, where else am I going to go? I mean, me too. I So, so right, in I that just, case, I the just, job should have been quit long, long time ago. Yeah, I despise my job. I was so depressed driving in every morning and back. I was happy driving back, but I didn't like the 45-minute drive. I Oh, my gosh. I just, I, I really didn't like it. But I don't know where I was going with that. No, you were saying that you you can still do the same actions. But, I w yeah, but if I had, if if I was in the place I am now, I don't think it would do that to me. It wouldn't, I just let it destroy me in some weird way. It it became this like. Well, you were doing it, It you let it destroy you because in this essence, it became the representation of once again, you're not having control. Yeah. I, I didn't like it, but I couldn't go anywhere. Why couldn't I go anywhere? No reason. I never looked. Self-esteem. I never looked. It's a bit self-esteem. I had a recruiter call me while I was gainfully employed there and I'm like, no, no thanks. I already have a job. What? Why didn't I hear him out? What if it was for something great? It was probably scarcity. Right? Scarcity, self-esteem. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. And so, yeah, so sometimes that job, right, you're in it because your pain body is causing you to be in it. And when you identify in the pain body of like, oh, hey, I'm just, trying to exercise control but i'm actually in fear and this job is terrible but because i'm in fear and i'm in scarcity and i'm think i'm unlovable and unwanted and nobody ever is going to hire me again i'm just sticking with this and so you're just staying there out of fear versus you know once you start to discover that about yourself sooner or later it will no longer resonate you'll be like wait what i'm here for what reason and it doesn't even matter what the market is, what the employment market is at that time, right? It just quit. I mean, heck, it's the worst that can happen. You discover yourself on the streets as a bum. Right. It'll be more interesting than doing TPS reports. I guess. <laughs> Probably would. Anyway.
And I know, and I, I think, yes, it is a privileged thing to say. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, once you start the process of discovery, certain things will just no longer resonate. Yeah. And and certain things, do- doors will open. Doors yeah. will open. Yeah. Certain certain opportunities that do resonate with you will come. Ideas that you probably never even had before will come as you start to discover yourself right. and possibly the pain behind the things that you are doing versus like, what if I did things because right. I love it, not because I'm in some yeah. pain form. And you could play it safe and do that on your way out without, yeah, like, without, don't, without necessarily quitting and yeah, that's what we, you know, that's what we did, I yeah. guess, to begin with. Find something, get out of the bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, or you, you could be one of those people like me, like, screw this, I'm quitting. Right. <laughs> Just walk away. Quit. <laughs> right. And then move on. Yeah. No, I, I, so I guess maybe we're getting close to the wrap time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just awareness, awareness of self and as back as childbirth, maybe. Yeah. If you as can't go that you can far. Because there's something in everybody's childhood that is still to this day kind of driving them to either do things or behave in a certain way or think or feel in a certain way that is probably not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, saying that about this life, and maybe the other thing I should write down is past life. So, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs>